For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hello and welcome to The Rock Podcast. There are 31 chapters of God's Word devoted to sayings of the wise to help us live right and enjoy blessings and avoid pain. We call this the Book of Proverbs, and today we pick up in chapter 14. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, Build Your House. Now, Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd focus our minds and hearts and gather them around your living Word. Father, we want to open our hearts to hear what your spirit has to say to us. Lord, uh, we need your wisdom. We want to be wise. We want to be found faithful. We want to have no regrets in this life, especially when we stand before you, Lord. And so help us to hear these words and understand them and apply them so that we could be a blessing to others and a blessing to you. In Christ's name, amen. Wouldn't it be fabulous if once we got saved, we were done making foolish mistakes once and for all? Can you imagine? Uh, the truth is that born-again Christians uh, are still vulnerable to act in foolish ways. Uh, we say and do dumb things still, even though we have the Holy Spirit. And when I say dumb, uh, we are in the book of Proverbs, and dumb doesn't have anything to do with IQ. It has to do with a willful uh, disregard of the right thing to do. And so when you do things like take money that doesn't belong to you or tell lies or slander other people, that would be dumb. And, and the Bible just calls that the behaviors of fools. And so uh, fortunately, God has given us um, his resources to overcome this propensity to do the wrong thing. We have a sinful nature. And even though we are born again, uh, he has given us his presence. The Holy Spirit is on board. And it's a, it's a person who helps us. If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you shall live. So he says, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify your sinful uh, nature. And so it's the presence of the Lord. He's also given us his power. Um, in Ephesians chapter one, he says, inside of us is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And so we have that power to use uh, on the behalf of walking right with God. And also he's given us his word. And uh, he's, uh, that includes an entire section called, uh, uh, specifically called uh, the sayings of the wise. It's specifically dedicated uh, to show us the way uh, to live, to be blessed. And we are seeing just uh, dozens and dozens of, of little sound bites of truth that are dedicated to help us get insights and con contrasting. This is smart, this is dumb. Right? And this, this will bring blessing, and this will bring pain and shame and loss. And so uh, there are 31 chapters, uh, and we call them the Proverbs, and we pick up in chapter 14. First up tonight, the ladies. The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish one tears hers down. Now, this is a very interesting proverb, and many people um, 
have committed this one to memory. First question is, why is it a woman the subject of building a house? Um, well, really, the word there is household, right? And so either gender can be a home wrecker. So why is God calling out the woman for special emphasis? Uh, because God knows, and anybody who is wise also knows, that a man may build the exterior of a house, um, but the woman is the one who makes it a home. And so the idea here is that the woman, by God's design, is called a homemaker, hence the term homemaker. They make the home, or they break the home. And, and that's just an, here's an, just an awesome shout out, once again, to the woman's significance and power uh, that she holds in marriage and family and in life. Now, you know, it's been said the husband is the head of the house, right? But everybody knows that she's the neck that can move the head in any direction she pleases, <laughs> right? So uh, here you're, you're, we're going to see that the house is her turf, not just the decor, you know? It's, uh, she spends her time there. That's where she spends most of the time uh, with the kids. Who, who do the kids spend most of the time with? Uh, she, in 1 Timothy, says that the wife, the woman, manages the home. That's why she's in the focus of this, um, this truth here tonight in, in the first verse. Uh, a woman's wisdom enables a home uh, to thrive. And so uh, she sets the tone and the thermostat of the home. And so how does the wise woman uh, build her house really quickly? Uh, number one, she has to have a relationship with Jesus, according to the Bible. Because from that relationship, she'll get the wisdom, the discernment, the grace, the strength to be everything she needs to be to build that house, to be an encouragement to her husband, uh, to be a blessing to her children, to show them the unconditional love and patience and grace and discipline and everything that is required. Number one, she has to fear the Lord. And number two, uh, the wise woman builds her home by respecting and serving her husband. And the, the New Testament tells us that the woman is to really submit to the husband uh, and let him lead. In a, in a ballroom dance, there's one person who's leading. If they're both leading, it's just a catastrophe on the dance floor. <laughs> All right? And so uh, if you're interested in a whole sermon on that, uh, you can go to 1 Peter chapter 3 on the website and uh, download that. Uh, a wise woman also builds her home by raising and caring for the children with this unconditional love, as I mentioned. A wise woman builds her home with a lot of hard work. Proverbs 31 woman, she is industrious, man. From sun up to sundown, that woman is making sure everybody in that household has what they need materially, emotionally, spiritually. She also builds her home by managing money well. And she's not a liability in that department. She's an asset. And she also builds her home with wisdom by having a good godly reputation. She's called morally upright. She's generous and virtuous in every way. The, the, the terrible, saddest scripture in the Bible I would nominate to be this one because the horrible, horrendous, ironic truth is, is that the undoing of a family can be done by the woman in the home with her own 
two hands. How, how would she do that? By first of all, neglecting her relationship with God. Once your heart hardens and it becomes all about you, then implosion is only uh, moments away. And so uh, when anything is all about us, a disaster is imminent. And so in a, just a terrible, painful irony, we see that a pile of rubble that used to be a happy home uh, laying piled up there uh, was something that she took apart by her own hands, piece by piece, till the whole thing came done. So to the sons, the takeaway is choose wisely. Choose wisely, because the Proverbs will say it is better to live in a barren desert than together in a home with an ill-tempered wife. So, uh, and I'm sorry, I'm just quoting the scriptures. You're looking at me like this is my stuff. I, I'm just like the weatherman. I just, you know, I don't control the weather. I'm just telling you that it's going to be rainy, apparently. <laughs> so, uh, sons choose wisely, and daughters build your house. Build your house. Okay, we're going to move quick now. Verse 2. He whose walk is upright fears the Lord, but he whose ways are devious despises him. So here, here's the overarching theme. The words in the Hebrew really talk about the walk and the path. Again, I have two pictures just to make it interesting a little bit. The straight path is what the Proverbs talks all about. Jesus said, as narrow is the way that leads to life. So there's always talk about a straight path where life has virtues that bring blessing, and that's the wise life. And then we have contrasted in that verse two, the crooked path. Looks something like this, apparently. All right, the crooked path. It, the crooked path has always got vices and sinfulness and character flaws. Uh, it's crooked, it's unstable, it's called the foolish life, and it brings suffering. All right, verse three. A fool's talk brings a rod to his back, but the lips of the wise protect them. All right, so... Uh, another motivation to use our words with caution and restraint because words matter. Um, anybody here ever get into some trouble because of something you said? <laughs> yeah, everybody raise your hand. Right, I know. Now, uh, James chapter one and verse 19 says, everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Uh, these are words that we say. We gossip. We get into other people's business. We say things we shouldn't have said. And what, what happens? That's a boomerang that's just going to come and slap up us upside the head. A slander, boasting, lying, all of this stuff, if we would just stop and think. Um, so choose your words wisely. Keep them sweet as possible because you may have to eat them soon. I said that too fast, apparently, because that was a joke. Okay, let me try it again. No, I'm going to move on. Verse 4. Where there are no oxen, the manger or stall, barn stall, is empty. But from the strength of an ox comes an abundant harvest. This is my favorite uh, verse in this chapter. Uh, it, it means a productive life is messy. All right, so here, here we go. You can't have it both ways, our sage tells us. Uh, if you like things clean and tidy and well-ordered in your world, all right, 
by, by the nature of things, and if we're talking about a farmer, uh, for the farmer it would mean that you would have an empty stall because it wouldn't take very much time for an ox to make a mess of things. So if you really want your work area or your life or your sphere of influence to be tidy and neat and perfect and clean, uh, there's only one problem. You don't have productivity. You don't have the strength of the ox to do the work. So yes, you have no mess, no veterinarian bills, no maintenance, uh, but also no benefits. Now, on the other hand, if you, if you want to get things done, if you need some plowing, if you need some strength to pull that millstone, to crush that grain so that you can make bread, then there's going to be a trade-off Productivity is a collaborative effort. And so you'll have the ox. If you want the ox, guess what? You're going to have to get a shovel and do some cleaning. Because with productivity, this is what the Bible is teaching, and it's not just about ox, oxen. When you want productivity in your life, you are going to have a trade-off. Yes, you have skilled people. Yes, there are people willing to do the strength of the task, but you're always going to have to clean up messes, and that's it. If you want a perfect perfect life without any problems, you're not going to have any people around. That's sort of the idea there. And so I see that you didn't enjoy that one either. No, let's move verse 5. I'm going to hit one of them. There's a lot of them. All right, here. Now, <laughs> verse 5, a truthful witness does not deceive, but a false witness pours out lies. Now, here's one of those no-brainer ones that you're thinking like, come on, we're, we're out of you know, grade school. We get it, okay? Are you? That's what, the, the, that's what it's saying here. Here's what it's saying. It's saying, okay, you call yourself a truthful person. Here's what truthful people do. They tell the truth. Think about it. And liars tell lies. It's as if somebody said, you know, a believer is not sexually immoral. Duh. Or are they? You see, he's defining what we just sometimes take for granted and say, yeah, I'm a believer. Yeah, I'm truthful. Well, then tell the truth. That's, that's really the meaning of that. All right, verse 6, the mocker seeks wisdom and finds none, but knowledge comes easily to the discerning. So this one's saying even a mocker, the Hebrew word is lutz, and it means to mouth off. Two words, mouth off. That's what it means. To deride, to make fun of, to make a joke of, everything. So even the mocker comes into a place where that person wants to know, should I go left or right? What's the right thing to do? I need a little wisdom here. But they're not going to find any because anybody who wants wisdom, the meaning of this text is anybody who wants understanding will have to come on God's terms to find it. And that's the way it is with salvation as well. Everybody wants to call the shots, you know, if you do this, then I'll believe, you know, and God's like, "Uh, I think I'm the Lord and you're not, so uh, you're going to do this first, all right, and then I'll do that, and that's sort of what has to happen here. Uh, First, he's saying, get off your high horse, Um, 
and think you know everything, the mocker, right? And get rid of that proud, arrogant attitude. Humble yourself, fear God like the discerning do, and then it'll be a piece of cake because the humble and the faithful, they, they get understanding. Verse seven, stay away from a foolish man, foolish person, for you will not find knowledge on his lips. So here's a warning that, uh, you know, foolishness is somewhat contagious, all right? It's kind of like cooties. Uh, and uh, it, it just kind of, if you hang around the wrong crowd, as, as 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says, bad company corrupts good morals. So what does it mean to stay away from a foolish person? Well, first of all, what's a foolish person? A foolish person is somebody who mocks the Lord and, and, and has, uh, lives a sinful life and is going down the wrong path. Um, what does it mean to stay away from that person? They're morally compromised. Well, it doesn't mean you isolate uh, from uh, people like that as holy hermits. Uh, we'd have to move, uh, you know, to a very high mountain somewhere. To, and, and besides that, how can you stay away if these people are in your family or, uh, or you know, related to you or the or our coworkers. These are, you know, the proverbs, and they're, they're, some of them are just straight up forward like that. Sorry, but what happens if you, if foolish people are in your family, you're not staying away from them, right? It means don't link arms and hearts with someone. Don't pal around with somebody who doesn't fear God um, because you don't want their character to rub off on you, and that's exactly what will happen. Verse 8. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the foolishness of fools is deception. All right, so if I jump off this cliff, I could get hurt, right? Because I'm thinking before I do action. If I step in front of this car, I could get run over. That's giving thought to your ways. If I flirt with somebody and I'm married, that could destroy my marriage. See, the, 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 the wisdom of the prudent is to stop and think about cause and effect. And the wise people have cause and effect. The basic difference between the wise and the fool in the Bible is the ability to think clearly, scripturally, before we speak and act. I like this one quote about this verse. Before a believer speaks or acts, they do the inner work of wrestling down what they'd like to say or do and instead go with the wiser biblical response. I like to just tell people, just fast forward. You're thinking about doing X, Y, or Z, just fast forward the tape. Okay, you get the thing you want. Okay, done. Then what? Then you get caught. Then what? Uh, then repercussions. Then what? See, just speed, speed it up. That's what... Wise people do, verse 9. Fools mock at making amends for sin, but goodwill is found among the upright. So here's an observation. Uh, fools offend people. Foolish people, sinful people, unbelieving people uh, offend people and couldn't care less about repairing that. See, because they can never admit that they're wrong or that they did anything bad, and so uh, they don't need to make any amends. Uh, foolish people never say they're sorry. It's always the other person's fault. Um, 
It's never their fault, and they never say they're going to repay anything or fix it. Wise people, when there's like a breakdown or when you offend somebody, a wise person wants to build a bridge and repair and feels like sorry about it and wants to make things right. That's a wise person. Verse 10, each heart knows its own bitterness and no one else can share its joy. Well, here is an observation of the limitedness of our fellow human beings to really understand us at deep levels. Um, Try as we might, no one can perfectly sympathize uh, with the sorrows and the joys of others. Um, That can make a lonely life, and that's what the, the understanding here is, that God alone is the person who can share your joys and your troubles. He alone, the Bible says, he bore our griefs and carry our sorrows. And he was the one who did his first miracle at a wedding um, and brought joy there. And so he knows your highs and lows and he's available to walk with you. And I think that's the, the application there. Look to God. You're not going to find a true companion. Even in your husband and wife, there are limits. But not God, because he made you. And he walked as a human being as well. Uh, Verse 11, the house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. So this is a common refrain over and over again about the stability of those who trust in God and the instability of those who reject him and God's word. And so uh, really the idea is personal integrity ensures stability and prosperity and and the destruction of those who mock at uh, the Bible and God's word. Let me show you a picture of a house destroyed. So you know, this happened in San Francisco. They have a lot of that kind of thing on in certain areas, the foundations and the sand and the, and the earthquakes and things. But I just start, stop to think, when your life, the Bible says your life will be utterly destroyed. Jesus said, if whoever hears my word and does not put it into practice will be like a foolish man who built his, his house on sand instead of a foundation so that when the storms of life come and the, and the waters and flood, floods start to rise and the wind beats upon that house, the house falls and he says, what a great disaster. And he's not talking about a house. He's talking about the person's life not only in this life, but in the life to come, which is eternal. Verse 12. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. How many of you have committed that one to memory? That's a very famous one. And uh, here, we, here we've got uh, the, the fact, the important reminder that unsafe and dangerous roads or paths that we can take can appear safe to us. Uh, but are actually fatal because it's the wrong direction, according to God, and the wrong destination. So the world has a ways of directing us. They have a GPS and maps. I'm talking about, spiritually speaking, our lives, philosophies and advice from the world. Friends and family have opinions about the ways your life should go and your own mind and your own logic. Right? But it's influenced by sinful, a sinful nature. So there's no shortage of ways that seem right 
They're endless, right? But only God knows the safe roads. We can't know them because they might look and seem right. The only way you'll ever know if you're on a right road, on a right path, is through the word of God and through prayer and the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. He alone knows which way to take that ends in life. Uh, Verse 13, even in laughter, the heart may ache and joy may end in grief. Here's an observation. Really, he's talking to young men and young women, and he's saying to be forewarned is to be uh, forearmed. Uh, Life is filled with bittersweet things. Now, uh, just a word to the youngins here. Listen, reality check for what you need to expect in life uh, so that you're not going to be disillusioned. There's no such thing as a pain-free life, even at weddings and celebrations and when you go on Facebook and you see the, the, the most wonderful celebrations and parties and laughing and everything, you're just saying, listen, down deep, of course there's joy in the room in the moment, but down deep, if you isolate and take a look at everybody's life in that room, there's a cross. There's some pain. There's some struggle because we live in a fallen world. This world isn't the way God intended it. Sin entered the world and corrupted everything. And now there's pain and all kinds of things. So that even in joy, there's, there's a, some kind of sorrow still there that we have and we carry that until, and I believe the point of this is to say there's one day when the bitter will be removed from the term bittersweet and it'll just be sweet. Revelation 21 puts it this way. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Until then, walk with Jesus through the highs and lows. Verse 14, the faithless will be fully repaid for their ways and the good man rewarded for his. Uh, Despite what it may seem, God runs a just universe and everyone will get what's coming to them, including us. Christians. Uh, that judgment is, is talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15. And also at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, it says, we Christians will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to receive what was done in our bodies, in our life, both good and bad. That's the Christian judgment. So that will be either a reward or a loss of reward. So it's not just, you know, say the prayer and do whatever you want. There's going to be a repayment. The good man will be rewarded or not. Verse 15. A simple man believes anything, but a prudent man gives thought to his steps. Now, Christians um, struggle with this one. I think wisdom really prevents gullibility or it should. Now, the simple-minded, the word there is open-minded. They're open. They don't have any convictions yet. So that person is is in trouble because they haven't had time to mature to, to be able to think critically. So the struggle for Christians that seem to be notoriously naive 
when wisdom should prevent this, I, I mean, I, think about it. The craziest televangelists ever that, that say all kinds of crazy things. If you send me 50 bucks, I will send you this prayer handkerchief. You know, I dipped it three times in the Jordan River in Israel, you know, or whatever. And, and, and uh, some, somebody is sending truckloads of money and cash because those ministries are thriving. So, what, what, you know, a simple person just believes anything. There's all kinds of false doctrines, too. Uh, uh, people who ask for money, who are just mooching, or they're always telling sob stories. And, and wisdom is supposed to give you the ability to see through those kinds of things and, and not be a dupe about it. Uh, hard to discern a person's... These people have a hard time discerning people's true motives. And they could be taken advantage of so easily. Um, because they don't have the wisdom uh, that prevents them from being so gullible. Why do Christians struggle so much with this? Because Christians want to believe everybody's telling the truth. And Christians want to believe that everybody has a good motive. And Christians want to believe I should help anyone who asks me. And I should trust everyone who wants to be my friend. Especially if you're single and the other person is attractive and says all the right things. Right? Uh, the Bible's not encouraging you to walk around like a cynical person. And a cynic is somebody who just has a hard heart, doubts everyone's motive, raises their eyebrow every five seconds, like doubting and distrustful of human sincerity. That's not what the Bible's saying there. Jesus said, since I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves in the world, that's Jesus' opinion, is that in the world there are ferocious wolves and we are like sheep. All right, well, we don't really stand a chance against a ferocious wolf if we're sheep. What are we going to do, gum them to death? You know, I know, scare them, I'll scare them away. I know, I'll scare them away. Bah, you know, I don't see the wolf going anywhere, you know. So he says, I want you to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And the word wise there is shrewd. Be a thinker. Think through things. Think critically. Let the Holy Spirit prompt you with some wisdom. That's what he's saying there. Be wise and shrewd. Um, it's sort of like a sanctified calculating up there. Verse 16. A wise man fears the Lord and shuns evil, but a fool is hot-headed and reckless. So really, this is an easy one. Unbelieving, foolish people are reckless, and believers like to try to stay out of trouble. Verse 17, a quick-tempered man does foolish things, and a crafty man is hated. Now, here's a pretty cool one. Here's an observation about two character qualities uh, that are very distasteful that the general population uh, find un unattractive. So here's what he's saying. He's saying to his boys, do you want people to like you? Do you want to get invited to parties? Do you, do you want to get the job? Well, there are two things that everybody in the world generally dislikes. Number one, a hot-headed guy who's always just erupting. He can't control himself. Every little irritation, he has to give full vent to his, his irritation and rage. Uh, people don't like that. We don't like it in the supermarket, in the long line as we're checking out. You know, the guy is standing there, oh, oh. You know, oh, oh, taking out, oh, taking out all her pennies. You know, or the guy he can't wait. Or the guy in traffic. 
you know, one wrong move and everybody's got to pay for it with the honking of the horn or worse, or worse with your life, you know? And, and so, yeah, people don't like that. And, and then the other guy that people don't want to invite to the party, the guy is always looking for trouble. He's always into trouble. So he's saying, you know, do you want people to respect you and have, want you around? Then control your temper and quit causing trouble. Verse 18. The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. Okay, so here's another easy one. Uh, the kind of honor you receive in life is based on the amount of wisdom you use in life. All right, next verse. Verse 19, evil men will bow down in the presence of the good and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. Another easy one. The good guys win, the bad guys lose. The implication is, which side are you on? Verse 20, the poor are shunned even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. So, you know, here's a little chuckle here, an observation about human nature. And it sort of leaves, us up, it, leaves it up to us to determine right or wrong. And the next one is going to tell us that there is some, um, it's not virtuous to be like that. Well, anyway, uh, people would rather hang out with someone with wealth because they'll be more comfortable. There's more benefit there. There's some enjoyment there. Versus hanging out with the poor uh, who require attention, maybe some care or some help, and there's nothing in it for the person. So they, they really would rather be associated with somebody who had some money. Uh, then we'd rather tool around in a fancy sports car than some beater, right, some jalopy. We'd rather meet up at Nordstrom's than the dollar store, right? Uh, we'd rather spend the evening at a home in Fountain Grove than a homeless shelter, probably. So the implication is um, don't be superficial like that. That's how the world is, but God's people are not like that. We don't judge people by what we can get from them or what they can do for us, but because poor people are made in the image of God, just like rich people, then we value everybody. We value everybody. Here's Jesus' suggestion about this whole idea. Jesus said to a host who threw a, a big party and invited all the important people in town, he said, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, don't just invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and then you're repaid. But when you give a banquet, my people invite the poor. Hang out with the poor. There it is. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And now the crippled, the lame, and the blind just also stand not just for disabled people, but for the people that are on kind of outcasts, the down and out kind of people. And you'll be blessed. Although they can't repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. That means in heaven. God will say, hey, listen, thanks for doing that. They couldn't give you anything in exchange for that kindness, so let me give it to you now. That's what he says will happen. And that should be our attitude toward the poor. Uh, uh, verse 21, he who despises his neighbor's sins, and so this despises his neighbor who's poor, but, blesses, but blessed is he who is kind to the needy. So here, here's, he's kind of tacking on another thought here. 
God is not, thankfully, so God is not impressed by our outward trappings. You know, rich and poor have this in common. The Bible says the Lord is the maker of them all, and that's in Proverbs 22. Um, so here's, here's a very interesting thing here. He says that when you have apathy about somebody's need, or you look down on a poor person, that it's an offense to God. So being kind and befriending, befriending, I should say, and caring about the needy will bring God's blessing. Verse 22, do not those who plot evil go astray, but those who plan what is good find love and faithfulness. So the lesson here is our behavior, listen to this, is always the result of our planning. We think and then we act or at least it should be that way. So uh, this, this proverb just says, set the rudder of your heart and mind to do good, to obey the Lord, instead of to commit sin, and you'll receive God's favor. Verse 23. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Hmm, that's a good one. Now, a, a real problem for human beings because it's a lot easier to just talk about doing something than actually doing it. So the benefit of hard work is always talked about in the Proverbs. So hard work here in the Hebrew literally means painful toil and um, it pays off. Mere talk, when we talk about our intentions or our schemes or I'm going to do this or that tomorrow or the next day, uh, here's, here's the point. Don't just talk about it. Do it. All right, verse 24. The wealth of the wise is their crown, but the folly of fools yields folly. So it's a difficult verse in Hebrew, but here's, it's just got a simple thing here. Wise people end up with material and spiritual reward while stupidity is the only reward for stupidity. So be wise. Uh, verse 25. A truthful witness saves lives, but a false witness is deceitful. So pretty simple stuff here, but you know, sometimes you want to be a hero. You can be a hero by just standing up and telling the truth, because sometimes it's very difficult to tell the truth. There's a lot of pressure on people today, even in court cases, to side with the side the media wants you to side on. So, you know, all kinds of reasons not to be honest here. And so a call to stand up for people who are in trouble and the hero will speak the truth and save the day and come to rescue uh, that person's life. Speaking the truth. Listen, there are people who get lied about all the time to you, all the time. Somebody will say, did you hear so-and-so, John, da 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 And it's a lie, right? So it's your responsibility to save his life, save his reputation. I mean, if it's not true, these kinds of things that happen is slander and gossip. Take a stand. Be a hero. Verse 26. He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress for his children. It will be a refuge. So... Mom and dad, this is what he's saying. You're going to have kids. Do you love your kids? Then you walk with God in faithful obedience because that blessing of your life, walking with God, will impact them. Now, if you don't walk with God 
and you're sinning and God has to deal with you, guess what? Your kids are connected to you. So instead of having a refuge because you're an, uh, an obedient Christian who's got God's blessing and favor, right? Now he has to chastise you or correct you because that's what he does to sinful behavior. And what have you done? You've taken the refuge away from your kids. So yeah, you know, people love to say, it's just only me. I didn't affect anybody else. But you will affect your children um, by having God discipline you. Well, who's in the house? I mean, they're right there. So whatever you have to go through, you know, it's going to affect the family and the kids. Verse 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. This is a, another simple contrast that I like to say, you know, all of these boil down to sim- simple common sense. He's saying, really, <laughs> do it God's way. Or, do you want pie with ice cream or do you want to punch in the nose? That's my favorite little thing. I mean, it's really the, here's another one. Here, here's what he's saying. He's saying, when you fear God, fear God means to just be an awesome respect of him and reverence that there's a living God that's on the other end of your prayers and life. That's a pretty cool thing. But he says, um, the fear of the Lord is like a fountain of life. So you've got this on one side, right? You've got this fountain of life. God's saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. I'll bless you. I'll fill you. Jesus said, whoever drinks of the water that I give will never thirst again. And all of these beautiful promises of fountains of blessing and life and refreshment and quenching of our thirst and all of that to fear the Lord. And then he says, or... Uh, and it will save you. The fear of the Lord in your verse says, fountains of life, and it will save you from the snare, the trap of death. And the, and the, the idea there is a web or a trap of something that's very lethal. So when you fear the Lord, you, do, you get to see that ahead of time. And, and you avoid it because you have reverence for God. You're not uh, foolish enough to ignore God's word that says, watch out, you're going to get bit, right? And so you avoid that. And instead, you're in the fountains of his blessing. Next, verse 28, a large population is a king's glory, but without subjects, a prince is pretty much ruined. Uh, 28, so it's interesting. A king without much of a nation isn't much of a king. So this is King Solomon talking to his prince sons who will be heirs to the throne. And so here's what he's saying. Son, don't take the people or the nation for granted because without them, who are you? Right? Here's what he's saying. Enact wise policies. Promote unity and stability. Avoid oppressive approaches. Overtaxation, harsh laws, evil behavior like injustice or corruption. Because if you lose the people's support, who are you, king? King, I'm king of what? what? You're king of four people who hate you. <laughs> Please. Uh, and, and the broader application is how about the person? How about a human being with no friends? What's a human being with no friends? Right? So uh, what's, a, what's a, uh, a boss uh, whose employers, who employees do not respect him? 
And the first second they get an inkling of another opportunity to get out of that company, they want out of the company. So the boss is ruined by without employees. You see, it's, it's, it's an idea of don't, uh, don't take things for granted. We, it, it, we need each other. And I love, one, one says, one quote said, don't buy your bad, don't buy your bad behavior. Oh, one more time. I'm going to get this. Don't buy your bad and insensitive behavior. Burn bridges with people who you need more than you may think at the moment. That's the thought there. Verse 29, we're almost done. A patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays foolishness. Well, the reason a patient person has greater understanding is because they can stick it out through the whole process. I mean, that's what patience is. It's a learning process. So they have patience. Uh, have you heard this little poem? You won't like it because you haven't liked much tonight. <laughs> so I'm just telling you ahead of time. Uh, patience is a virtue. Get it if you can. Seldom seen in woman, never seen in man. Oh, no. See, I told you. I was right. Again. All right. Verse 30. <laughs> I'm a guy. Why would I? Of course. I just, I, I don't have patience. I don't have patience for this tonight either. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know. I'll figure it out tonight. Barb, I need you. All right, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Jealousy is worrying that someone's taking away what you have. Envy is wanting what someone else has and really mad that they have it, all right? Now, envy is this, uh, the word means violent excitement that's never satisfied, passionate, misguided, Longing, And when there is that kind of violent excitement going on all the time, um, it brings constant turmoil and strain to your body, mind, and soul. And so uh, contented people are more healthy. They really are, always. And uptight people and people who want what they can't have and they're never satisfied. And every time they get off Facebook... They're like miserable because they're envying everybody and they're trying to keep up with everybody. He says, a heart at peace will give you life. Be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. But envy, it'll destroy you from within, down deep. Verse 31 he who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. So the big news flash is how we treat others is a reflection of what we think about God. Um, the Lord makes that plain when he says, hey, listen, if you come to church with an offering, but you, you've offended your brother and you haven't made it right with him, could you just not even bring your offering? Don't even come to church. Get it straight with them as far as you're able to on your half, right, from your end. Get it right. Because you can't come in here, give me your offering, lift up your hands, while you've got open, unresolved things that are your responsibility. You have sinned. 
against somebody and you need to make it right. And, and, and even if it's just something that you can do, the Lord says, please don't just think that I don't care and you're in church and you can just worship me and treat people the way, carelessly, that won't work. So he says, I'd, ra- I'd rather you just stay home, make it right, and then come and worship me, right? So it's, it's important. So uh, uh, God made them, he loves them, he wants them, he died for them. And so you, we just cannot snarl or look down our noses at anybody. Amen? Amen. All right, 32. Uh, when calamity comes, the wicked are brought down, but even in death, the righteous have a refuge. So wonderful assurance again, the security of those who are right with God. Even in death, we're kept safe. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, even if you die, yet shall you live. Verse 33, wisdom reposes in the heart of the discerning, and even among fools she lets herself be known. Well, here, here's an obscure one, but it means the wisdom is something you really can't see. It's got an invisible quality about it. It hides out in God-fearing hearts, and yet it's not hard to find even those who are playing the fool that wisdom is shouting aloud in the street, on the street corners and making... Uh, it herself wisdom available to everybody. Uh, verse 34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Well, interestingly, God takes notes of na- uh, note of na- how nations act and their overall character of a nation. And he talks about a lot of nations in the, in the word of God. And he says he blesses nations that walk right with him and do what's uh, just and truth and goodness and looking out for the poor and all of that stuff. And so sadly, our nation, uh, really once a Christian nation, uh, no more, uh, has fallen into disgrace, really biblically. And I myself have given up on ever seeing the return of uh, a godly nation um, because the Lord predicts that things get worse, not better. So I, I'm not saying that we couldn't have some revivals here and there, uh, but now it's time to look for God's kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And we're on the edge of seeing him light up the skies as the Bible predicts. And so we're getting ready for a place where only righteousness dwells. So my heart is looking forward to the new world that Jesus said, and I quote, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then Peter tells us, but in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And so um, that's a beautiful hope that we have in our hearts. Last verse, a king delights in a wise servant, but a shameful servant incurs his wrath. So really, this one is kind of easy. It's kind of saying, listen, Think of a king who's powerful and you're going to stand before him. Would you rather see a smile on his face or a sword in his hand? Uh, Because that's really the option. And that carries a wider application, doesn't it? Because the Lord is called a king, right? And uh, 
we will, as human beings, either be reconciled through the blood of Christ shed on our behalf and, and stand before God and see a smile, or those who oppose themselves to that king have to stand before him to uh, receive his wrath and judgment, and that's what the Bible teaches. And so Jesus laid down his life so that nobody would ever have to um, he suffered the wrath of God so that nobody would have to ever stand in that place of judgment because of his, his love. He, the Bible says that God is willing that no one perish, but that everybody come and have life and repent of their sins. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love, your wonderful word, Lord. And just as we just kind of Read through the chapter together. There are so many insights for us, and some of us really, some of them really strike home, Lord, and, and touch our hearts with comfort and um, correction. We want to be more wise in our dealings in this life, Lord. So we ask for your help. Uh, help us to reflect on these things and put these truths into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing the closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.